Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. Tonight we are in Hebrews chapter 11. It's often called the faith chapter. I think most of us are very, very familiar with this chapter. I think what is beneficial for us tonight is we're not just coming into Hebrews 11 out of the blue. And it's, you know, it's tempting to do that. It's a wonderful chapter. It has a lot of great、um, examples there for us. And it's, so it's tempting to just go straight into Hebrews 11. It stands alone. You could take Hebrews 11 out and stick it in Romans, stick it in Corinthians. It, could, it just stands alone. But it really doesn't stand alone. It is part of a, an argument that Paul is making. And so, what I want to do tonight as we go through Hebrews 11 is really stay with Paul's train of thought as we move into Hebrews 11. We won't get through the whole chapter tonight, but we'll get through part of it. But the main thing is that we'll put it in the context of the letter. Let's open with a word of prayer and then get into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we, we pause to thank you and we pause to praise you. And Father, we just really thank you for Jesus Christ and we praise his holy name. We know that when we honor him, we honor you. He is so beautiful, and yet the world rejects him.、Uh, the world wants to take carnal, ugly, horrible, sinful men and raise them above him. But Father, by your grace, we acknowledge him. We see him. We, we, we love him. And we pray, Father, that you'll deepen our faith as we study the faith chapter tonight. That you will give us that deeper trust in Christ. We thank you for Him. We thank you for each other. That as we trust Him and love Him, we grow to trust and love each other. We praise you, Father, and we ask this blessing on our study now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, which is known as the, the faith chapter. 
And um, I'll just remind everybody that we do have the chat afterwards. So if you are uh, willing to join us for some conversation afterwards, think about what you're hearing through the study and jot down any questions or comments you may have. And uh, after the study, we'll be able to talk amongst, each, amongst ourselves at cgi.churchonline.org. So it is uh, the faith chapter, examples of faith that we'll be covering this evening. So let's get into the study with Hebrews chapter 11. I want to um, just back up a little bit. We will go to Habakkuk. I want to cover a bit of Habakkuk uh, as we go into Hebrews 11. So, but, but even before that, what I want to say is this. If you do an analysis of how faith and belief is used by Paul in Hebrews, you'll see that it runs through the book. This is really a look at it hits per thousand and the different chapters. And so chapter one is his opening statement. And then you'll see chapter two, three, four, five, six. He has a lot to say about faith uh, and, and belief. And then he cuts the argument about faith and belief in chapters seven, eight, and nine. He is completely silent about, well, I shouldn't say completely silent, but he, he does not discuss in detail anything about faith and belief. He, he does talk about promise. Uh, and then beginning in chapter 10 and then peaking in chapters 11 and 12, he really drives this point home about faith. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is going on here? Why does he uh, abort the conversation or the argument about faith and belief in chapters 7, 8, and 9 when he has so much to say about it beforehand? And that's, that's what I want to do is kind of look at that backdrop to see what, what led into what led into the the uh, brief, um, what shall I say, the brief um, just pause or break regarding the argument of faith. And I think what you'll see here, we'll go back and pick up the argument, but what we're going to see is that um, in Hebrews 1 and 2, he is introducing Christ as the faithful messenger of God. So he is the faithful one. Then in chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, He's arguing with, with the, the Hebrews, and by extension us, just how important it is to trust God and to believe in him, to believe in his character and, and the consequences of disbelief. And if we go back in time and look at the forefathers, what happened to them as a result of their disbelief? And then there's this break in seven where he then introduces our high priest. Because remember he said, consider the apostle but also consider the high priest of our profession. So in, in chapter 7, he then introduces the high priest of our profession, the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, and he explains that in chapter 7. Then in chapter 8, he explains that this high priest is administering a superior covenant, and that the old covenant now is obsolete. And then in chapter 9, he explains that this high priest is administering this superior covenant in a superior tabernacle in heaven. And he's bringing a superior, he brought a superior sacrifice or offering to God in the Holy of Holies in this superior tabernacle. So what we see is that 7, 8, and 9 are also about belief. But Paul is explaining why we can have this deep conviction. Who is behind our deep conviction? It is our high priest. And if we really grasp in chapter 7, 8, and 9, who is behind all, he's in our corner. He is working to make us successful. 
And if we grasp who he is and that it's impossible for him to lie, this is why we can have this faith, this trust, this belief. And then now in 10, again, another warning, but now he introduces the notion of considering one another. So first we consider who, who is this messenger that God is sending. It's his own son who's superior to anything that has ever preceded him. Then what are the consequences of not believing the messenger? Tragic. Then consider the high priest of our profession and just how much he loves us and what he, is, what he has done and what he is doing to make us successful and trust him. So consider, so seven, eight, and nine are helping us to consider the high priest. And then in 10, he introduces this notion of consider one another. And that's where we have to, as we move into chapter 11, don't just come into it out of the blue. It's actually part, chapters 11 and 12, are part of this third wave of the argument of considering one another. So this is how I would structure the book. Consider the apostle, consider the high priest, consider one another. And so let's, uh, let's go back now and just understand this argument that, that Paul has been making regarding the, um, uh, regarding the uh, um, what shall I say, regarding the, uh, just give me a second here, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, unlike Paul, who keeps his train of thought, if we're going to follow Paul, we have to just stay with him. We can't, we can't lose our train of thought. So let's, let's go back now and just understand some of this argument that he's making about faith before we get into uh, Hebrews 11. So in, uh, and I did, I did mention that we will uh, look at Habakkuk, but first we're going to um, focus on Hebrews 11. So uh, Hebrews 3, and to whom did he swear that um, they should not enter his rest, but to them that believe not? This is serious. So if we start to meddle with disbelief in Christ, we have an example in the past that we can look to, and it's the forefathers. It's that generation in the wilderness that did not believe, and God swore that they, they could not enter into his rest. And then he says here, in, in Hebrews 4, when he, when he goes into chapter 4 now, he says, uh, For unto us was the gospel preached. So this is good news of, of being established as a nation of kings and priests to facilitate relationship with God all over the world. This was preached to them, as well as unto us. But the word preached to them didn't profit them. It was of no, even though it was phenomenal good news, it had no value to them. Not being mixed with what? With faith in them that heard it. So this is the whole point that this is a superior apostle. We have to believe in him. For we which have believed, so they didn't believe, but we which have believed, we do enter into this rest. And this rest is, is the kingdom of God established on earth in the promised land that's going to bring eternal peace. Uh, so we're going to enter into this rest, and it's symbolized by the Sabbath. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Then in chapter 6, so he's going to continue that argument. Then in chapter 6 he says, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there are those that, because of lack of faith through disbelief, they're written off. Then there are those who, because they had faith, they do inherit the promises. And we should not be slothful. We should not be negligent. We need to be followers of their examples because it's all about faith. That by two immutable things, in 6.18, in which it's impossible to God, for God to lie, we, we, the Hebrews, 
the, the Hebrews of the first century, the Hebrews of the 21st century. It's impossible for God to lie. So because we have these two immutable things, the, the promise and the oath on top of the promise, we can have strong encouragement. We can have strong conviction. We can have strong faith. Who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that's set before us. We believe in the promise of God. And that's really the argument that Paul has been making here, that you have, when, when this God makes a promise, we have to believe in him. We have to trust him. We have to understand his character very much the way Abraham did the father of the faithful. That when he was an old man and it was impossible for him to have children, and God promised him that you will have descendants that you will be not able to number, and not through a relative, but through your body. And, and so he just said, okay, God is saying, I believe it. And then when he finally had the child of promise, God says, I need you to offer him. And so he says, okay, I don't know how this is going to work out, but God promised that all of my descendants that will be innumerable are going to come through this seed, and yet I have to sacrifice him. There must be some way that God can work this out, but I'm just going to do what God commands me to do, but I'm also at the same time, I'm going to trust him and believe in him. This is the way we have to reason now and follow this example. And this is the hope that's set before us. And, and the Hebrews of the first century, the Hebrews of the 21st century, we are focused on this hope of eternal life. Eternal life with God in the promised land as kings and priests. So he says here now, coming into chapter 10, let us draw near with a true heart. In, so this is after 7, 8, and 9. He's now introduced the high priest to us. We fully comprehend who it is that is supporting us in this venture. And so now, because we understand that, let us draw near with a true heart. This, this is God. This is Jesus Christ. This is the Son of God. And he is absolutely determined to bring about his counsel, to bring about his plan. So let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Come on, don't doubt. Don't be double-minded. Focus in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is the, the work of the high priest for us. So let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And this is, this is really the, the, the point that uh, Paul is trying to drive home. Don't let go. Don't let, don't turn back. Don't be unfaithful. Just believe and hold on. Consider the high priest of our profession and then hold fast the profession of our faith. We, we made a profession of faith. Let us not back down without wavering. Just be convicted. Just set your mind and, and don't waver. Now here's the argument. Here, here, the whole argument is right here in, in 1023. Hold fast this profession of faith why, why should we hold fast without wavering? Why should we be single-minded? Because he is faithful that promised. And that's how he opened the letter in chapters 1 and 2. To say that this Jesus Christ, this Son of God, is faithful in all his house. He's more faithful than Moses. He's more faithful than anybody. And so because of his faithfulness, that, and he's the one that's extending this promise to us, for us to back down is to call God a liar. So if uh, Abraham backed down and said, well, I can't sacrifice my son because you, you said he's going to come through, but at the same time God commanded him to do this, then he's saying God is a liar. God cannot do what he purposes to do. If we believe that God is God, he can do what he purposes to do. And so we're not going to waver. No matter what, we're not going to waver. Why? 
because he is faithful. N nothing to do with us. We are pathetic. We are truly pathetic. We are, our righteousness is in this filthy rags. We've got nothing to offer. But what we do have is this, a high priest of the order of Melchizedek, an eternal order, a kingly priest order. That's what we have. And he's faithful that promised. So he goes on to say, uh, I'll just back up now to chapter 2 of Hebrews. Again, this is, you know, he's faithful that promised. And this is what Paul introduced in chapter 2. In all things, therefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. So as we consider this superior high priest, the real consideration is his faithfulness. That all of this power and glory that he has, his fundamental character, characteristic, is his faithfulness. He's a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, which is the function of the priest is to bring people to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. And in chapter 3 he said that he was faithful to him that appointed him, also as Moses was faithful in all his house. But he argues that he's even superior to Moses. So this now brings us to the immediate context of chapter 11, and that is, let us consider one another. This is the third consideration. The first consideration was to consider the superiority of the apostle and, and basically who we're doing business with, who we're engaged with, and better not mess with him. Because look what happened to those who messed with the other apostles, with the other messengers. There was no mercy. And so if this messenger is the son of God and he's superior to all the other messengers combined, consider this. Consider who we're, in de who we're dealing with. Then we're to consider the high priest. That yes, that is a frightening thing to turn our back on the apostle, but we don't have to turn our back because we have this superior high priest. In fact, he spends more time uh, deliberating and, and uh, articulating the consideration of him as high priest than he does the consideration of him as apostle. So he's really trying to encourage the Hebrews of the first century, us in the 21st century, uh, of, of the faithfulness and the power of this high priest. When he's done that, he then says, consider one another. And the argument that I'm making now is that this is the immediate context of chapter 11. And that we go into chapter, so we read this, consider one another, you say, yeah, whatever. And then we come back to ourselves. Because everything is about us. It's always about us. And so he says, consider one another. And we say, yeah, that, right, yeah, okay, good. Yeah, that's, that's a nice thing. And it sort of stays in verse 24, instead of, st instead of staying with Paul's train of thought. That now he's introducing a new thing for us to consider, and he's gonna help us to consider that. And we need to get we need to break this focus of self-centeredness on ourselves. He's, he's hoping that we've got it, we now understand, but not everybody gets it. There are others among us that may be wavering, and we're to consider one another, and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. And so you can clearly see here that if we, if we keep the train of thought that we're to consider one another, then the reason we don't forsake the assembly is because we're considering one another. It's not that, you know, my feelings were hurt and I want to forsake the assembly, but okay, I'm going to try to be a mature Christian and so I'll come back even though I kind of don't want to because, hey, it's always, always about me. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, okay, I hope you've grasped this, but now consider one another. 
because others may be faltering. And so don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but instead assemble, and when you assemble, consider the other, and exhort the other, and provoke the other, and help the other, because we're in a position where we can help each other stay faithful. So the, what we want to do as we go into chapter 11 is consider the fact that, okay, we've got the argument. He has, uh, the message has successfully landed for us. And we've, we are now determined to be faithful, but now we need to consider one another. And there may be other brethren that are faltering. And so we're going to mind our brother's business. And our brother is going to mind our business. And the body is going to edify itself in love and build itself up to strength and maturity. So we don't forsake the assembling uh, of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So some have already walked away. And, and Paul is saying, don't follow them. Follow the good examples. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So again, let's get this focus off ourselves. We're considering one another. And we're going to assemble and stay in community so much more because the day is approaching. You know, we're turning on the news, we're accessing the news, we're looking around us, we're seeing what's going on, and it's like the whole thing is unraveling fast. And there's a sense of acceleration, and even people who know nothing about God and His Word, they're worried, and they get a sense that it's not, the, it's, it's not normal, something's going on. Uh, but we who have the prophecies and the scriptures, we can see this thing accelerating, and now we're going to be in community so much the more, and even more and more and more as time goes by, because our heart is not focused on ourself. Our heart is focused on our brother, and we're considering our brother, we're considering our sister, and, and we need to be there in community so that whatever gift we have, and nobody has all the gifts, whatever gift we have, we can bring that gift, and we can uh, engage and employ that gift, and with that gift, enable others to employ their gifts. And some people have an incredible gift of encouragement. And so much the more do we need that gift as the day approaches and people begin to feel somewhat discouraged. So now he says, now, if we sin willfully, so again, this, again, this verse is in context of verse 24. So consider one another. Now, we need to make sure we're in assembly. We need to make sure we're in community. And so much the more is the day approaching. Why? Because if our brother is faltering, let's say that we've got the message, 2020, Paul, message received. Now, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Automatically, we're going to just, it's about me. It's always about me. But he just said, consider one another. So now, I cannot forsake the assembly, because imagine if there's a brother there that just needs the gift that I have to encourage him or her, and uh, they don't get it, and then they, they, they get discouraged and they walk away and they sin willfully. Then there remains no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. We don't want this for ourselves, and we don't want this for our brother or our sister. And so we're, we're coming and we're loving each other fervently, and so much the more as the day approaches, because we don't want anybody to fall short. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment do you suppose Shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite 
unto the spirit of grace. So again, it's always about me. So I just read this and I say, I don't, I don't want that to be me. But he's saying it's that Philippians mindset that don't be so consumed with yourself. Think of, consider one another. Let this mind be in you. That, that's not so self-centered. And so I'm thinking, if a brother gets discouraged and walks away, this is their fate. I can't have that, not on my watch. And so we, we are going to be in assembly and just push it. I keep saying this to myself and to others. There's no rewind. There's no rewind. We can't say like, okay, here's the finish line. It's like, wow, this is amazing. There's the finish line. Let's stop, rewind, and do that last mile all over again. Because if I had known the finish line was so close, I would have ran harder. But there's no rewind. It is what it is, and the result is the result. So we need to have this view that, you know, whatever I can do, I'm doing it. And whatever gift I have, I'm employing it. Because that's the gift that I have. And, and the more I use my gift, the more that builds up the church so that others can use their gift. And the more they use their gift, the more that builds me up so that I can then give more so that the church then is built up so it can give more. And it's just this wonderful cycle. And then no matter what happens, the church is just determined and focused and it's not wavering. So we're considering one another. Keep that. This is the train of thought now. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs unto me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. So we know him. There is severe judgment coming on the church of God. And so we're doing all we can. Judgment begins with the house of God. We're doing all we can for each other, not just for ourselves. And again, if we study Philippians 2 and understand that all of in Philippians 2, everything there, whenever we see the word you, it's plural. It's, it's a collective that he's speaking to and he begins very much in chapter one i'm speaking to the community and then he continues to speak to the community throughout the letter and so here we have this same sense don't forsake the community and and look out for one another it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living god and how many times have i read that and just thought it's a fearful thing for me to fall into the hands of the living god but now when i read this in the context of verse 24 i'm thinking of my brother I'm thinking of my sister, and we cannot allow this. So we have, to, we have to be in community. And I can't save the world, but I can work in my community. And I can do everything I can to build up and contribute to my community. That's why these Christians who float around and they don't land anywhere, they're making a huge, very selfish mistake. If you're a Christian, you need to find a community and you need to land there. And not every community is for everybody. You know, you might come to our community and you say, this is not quite for me. I need to uh, find it. You know, I need, I want something else. Whatever, you know, God places it in the body where it pleases him. But the point is to be placed in the body and not just floating around and never landing, never contributing, never building relationships. And relationships take time. Relationships are difficult. Things go wrong. But when you're in a family, you don't forsake the family. Things go wrong, you work it out, you get to trust each other more, you love each other more, and you understand each other more. So it's a fearful thing for any of us to fall into the hands of the living God, and that's why we won't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were eliminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions. So Paul is saying, remember where you were. And, and you had a very difficult period. You were being persecuted and you endured it. 
When you were, you were brought into the truth of Christ, you were enlightened, you were baptized, you received the Holy Spirit, and you put up with the, tribula with the uh, tribulation of small t, with the persecution. And he says, partly, while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. So it was a very, very difficult time for Christians. And you know what, brethren? That time is coming back. That time is most certainly coming back. And if you take a look at this um, recent video from uh, the, we had a shooting here in, in Toronto on the Danforth. And uh, afterwards you see a Christian man here protesting, he's protesting Islam and the media's treatment of Islam. He's not protesting Muslims and he makes that very clear. But look at how he is being reproached Look at how he's being made a gazing stock and understand that these scriptures that were, were going back 2,000 years, but they're in the scripture because they're actually forward-looking. This is our future. And they're here to encourage us to get through the future. This is not just historical, but take a look at this. He's racist over here. Excuse we're me, here. hold up, hold up. Let me tell you something, sir. Let me tell you something, sir. Bro, Muslims are bad people. Shame. I don't know about Shame. Muslims. I talk about Shame. Islam. It doesn't matter. Shame. I talk Shame. about Islam. Shame. 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 Get out of here. Get out of here. Get easily cracked his head. I could have been a fatal. No charges are laid. Police are right there. They know who did it. They say nothing. They do nothing. Here's the perpetrator. Police are right there, no charges are laid, there's the perpetrator right there. Um, if it was the other way around, if it was uh, pushing a Muslim into that water, it would be worldwide news and it would be relentless coverage and most certainly charges would be laid. But to do this to a Christian man, who cares? Police are right there watching and this is what we need to understand, the police are there to serve and to protect. To protect all citizens but all over these Western democracies the police are being politicized and they're being told to stand down for certain things allow the violence to take place allow whatever come what may allow just watch and stand down and so this is in the scripture for a reason and this is the future that we're facing so as good good news by the way for those of you who were watching the Tommy Robinson situation in the UK he has been released. The highest court in the land, the highest judge in the land, has basically rebuked the judge that sentenced, sentenced Tommy Robinson to death, basically. Said that the whole process was shoddy, it was, it was irresponsible, and, and he, he quashed it. And so now he's out on bail, and, and we're going to hear pretty soon how he was treated while he was in. Fortunately, he's still alive. But we're going to hear short, soon the news will come out, the stories will come out, how he was treated while he was in jail. He, he may not be a Christian as we understand Christianity. He is certainly a soldier uh, for Christian principles. And uh, he is symbolic of, of, of the future. These things creep in. And they're happening all around us and they're creeping in. Now, they, 
were made a gazing stock and they stood up to it. But now they're faltering. And this reminds us in Revelation where Christ says, look to Ephesus, I've got something, they were doing all these wonderful things. And Christ is saying, look, you've left your first love. And, and I'm going to come and I'm going to fight against you. I have this against you. You've left your first love. And so again, this is why we can't forsake the assembly. People do get discouraged. Discouragement is the, the devil's work. We can be high and just doing so well and then the unexpected happens and we just, we lose, we lose our, our mojo, we lose our, our groove, we lose our, our momentum. And sometimes a brother or a sister is there with the gift of encouragement, with that ability to love and comfort us, and it's what we need. Sometimes a brother is there with the, the word of God and the wisdom, uh, and they're just able to say the right thing at the right time. We need each other. We need each other to get, and, and we just, we have no idea. My mother used to say to me when I was young, you see today, you can't see tomorrow. It is so true, we can't see tomorrow. And we have no idea. But what we do know is Christ can see tomorrow. And he's our faithful high priest. So he goes on in Hebrews 10, context for 11. For you had compassion on me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. So it's like if you're a Christian, then you're going to, even if you were not attacked, if you help those who were, we're going to confiscate your property as well. Knowing that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. So they did have this faith back then. He's saying, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. So this whole reward of eternal life. For you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, it's just a little while, and then we cross the finish line, and there's no rewind. And he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. So he will not tarry. So it, it seems like a long time, but he is coming. And when he comes, it's going to be fast. Now, this is the context for Hebrews 11. This verse. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And at the chat last week, just as we were finishing up, JD made the comment that Paul makes this same statement in Romans and Galatians. And my wife was telling me that the commentary she was looking at, in Romans he's emphasizing the just, in Galatians he's emphasizing faith, and in, here in Hebrews he's emphasizing live. And I actually disagreed with that. I said, no, he's emphasizing all three. The just will live by faith. But I've actually, in studying this further, I have to agree with the commentary. The, the emphasis here is on live. And so let's just quickly look here in Romans. In Romans uh, 3.26, he says, To declare, I say, at this time, God's righteousness, that God might be just, and the justifier of him which believes in Jesus. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So here he's emphasizing the faith. For I, and then here it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation, for unto everyone that believes, the Jew first, but also the Greek. And for therein is righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the context shows very clearly, and my wife also said to me, this is clear proof that Hebrews was written by Paul, because he's using this same phrase, but just using it with slightly different emphasis on, on through the three words in each one. So here it's faith, it's about faith. And then in Galatians, for as many as are the works of the law are under the curse, and so now this is going to be about the just, 
Uh, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. So here he's emphasizing the idea of justification, where God justifies and he declares that we are righteous. And that does not come by the law. It comes by faith, but the just will live by faith. Not everybody, but the just. Now, in Hebrews 10.38, as I said initially, I thought, no, he's emphasizing all three. But no, he's, he's, he, the, the commentary is right. He's emphasizing live. Now, the just shall live. So I should really remove those two highlights, and we should be focusing on the word live. This is all about facing death. And the Hebrews are about to uh, face a, an extreme level of persecution, which could be fatal. And Paul is encouraging them that the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So the drawing, whatever this is, it's so frightful that the temptation is not to face it. it it's so it, it potentially fatal, you don't want to face it because all of us want to stay alive. Nobody wants to be hurt. But if you draw back and you don't face it, God will have no pleasure. We have to have this faith like Abraham, that, hey, if we lose our life, no problem, because God promised us eternal life. So we can live even though we die. Now, to fully appreciate this, we just need to pick up the context in Habakkuk. So we'll just quickly uh, go to Habakkuk, and um, let's, see, let's see then what uh, Habakkuk says to us. Let me just come here and get Habakkuk up here. Okay. Habakkuk 1, which is 1 and part of 2 to get the full context. The burden, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. Oh, this is the burden that he saw. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? and you will not hear, even cry out unto you of violence, and you will not save. So Habakkuk is, is at his, the end of his rope. There is so much corruption in the covenant community, even violence. People are being violent with one another, and God isn't doing anything. And Habakkuk is at his wit's end. He's saying, I've been crying out to you over this corruption in the community, and you won't do anything. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. This is what's going on in the covenant community. And, and uh, Habakkuk, as an apostle, he's bringing the law to them, he's bringing the covenant to them, and they're just going from bad to worse. And he's complaining now to God, saying, Why are you showing me this, but you won't do anything? And he says, because you won't do anything, therefore the law is slacked. With the covenant community are a bunch of hypocrites. And the law is slacked. And judgment does never go forth. Everybody's just afraid to judge. And, and God's judgment never goes forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. The wicked are actually in charge. The, the wicked are running the show. And they're compassing around, the, they're surrounding the righteous. Therefore, when judgment does proceed, it's wrong judgment. Now, this is Habakkuk's complaint. Now listen to God's answer. God says, Behold you among the heathen, 
and regard. So don't look for the answer within the covenant community. Look outside. In fact, look among the heathen. Look at the different heathen nations and regard, consider it, and wonder marvelously. This is going to blow your mind. Wonder marvelously. Why? For I will work a work in your days which you will not believe though it be told you. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. You won't believe it. This is going to blow your mind. What is it? What is this work that God is going to work? We don't have to make it up. We don't have to say, you know, I, hey, I'm a prophet. I'm doing a special work. This must be talking about me. I'm going to work this special work. This is all nonsense. God tells us, he tells Habakkuk what this special work is. First he tells Habakkuk, you're not going to believe if I tell you. Habakkuk, uh, he tells Habakkuk and then Habakkuk doesn't believe it. So what is this work? He says, here's, here's what I'm going to do. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. So where is Chaldea? Chaldea is what we call Iraq today. So if you look at the ancient map of Chaldea, you'll see uh, Media, which Media Persia, that's Iran today. And below that, you'll see Arabia. But between Arabia and Iran is what we call today Iraq. These are the Chaldeans. They're south of Iran, but north of Arabia. This is the area of the Chaldeans. And so he says, anciently, but this is a prophecy for the end time. He says, I'm going to raise up this bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible, these people that come out of Chaldea, and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. They've got their own laws. They've got their own ways. And they, they, they make up stuff to give themselves glory. Their horses are also swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far and they shall fly as the eagle. Now, when it says they shall come from far, not only is it the uh, horsemen, or, or not only is it the Iraqis, but their ideology has spread through what we call MENA, Middle East and North Africa, and so this same ideology is empowering, this Chaldean ideology is empowering a whole army. And this army now, it says here in the scripture that their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far, and they shall fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. So these people make a landfall in Spain and they just run and they run into the towns and they commit lawlessness. So this, this is what the scripture tells us, that these are vicious, vicious people. And he goes on to say, they shall come all for violence. That's the agenda, to come for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. So they, they are coming to enslave. And they're, go, and they're just going to enslave people like they're gathering sand. Just the way you would scoop up sand, they're going to be scooping up human beings and they're going to gather them as sand. And they shall scoff at the kings and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They'll have no regard for people in power. And they shall deride every stronghold for they shall heap dust and take it. Then shall his mind change, and he shall pass over and offend, imputing this power unto his God. Now, Habakkuk was told, but he doesn't believe it. 
He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. How can you do this? So he said, You won't believe what I'm going to do. He tells him, and now Habakkuk is saying, I don't believe this. We, th there's no way. We're not going to die, O Lord. You have ordained them for judgment. And O mighty God, you have established them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and you cannot look on iniquity. Therefore, look thou upon them that deal treacherously, and hold your tongue when the wicked devours the man that is more righteous than he. How can you allow this? So yeah, we've got problems, but how can you take people that are more wicked than us to destroy us? And makes men as fishes of the sea. They just gather men as if they're gathering fish, as the creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them, with the angle, they catch them in their net, and they gather them in their drag. And that's what's happening today, and it's gaining momentum all around the world. And there are, there are what we call this migrant or refugee. It's really, these are invasions into the Western nations. Therefore they rejoice and they're glad. Therefore they sacrifice unto their net and burn incense unto their drag, because by them their portion is fat and their meat plenteous. So this is how they gain wealth. And they're, they're dreadful, they have an ideology that's dreadful, and they gain wealth this way. Shall they therefore empty their net and not spare continually to slay the nations? So they're spreading out to slay the nations from Chaldea. He says, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So he knows he's out of, out of line here, contradicting God. And, but he still wants to hear from God to say, like, well, what is this? I don't believe this. Let, let me hear what God is going to say back to me. And the Lord answered me and said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables. This is dreadful, dreadful stuff. Your job as the watchman is to communicate the message. They're not going to like it, but you just communicate it. Make it plain upon tables. Why? That he may run that reads it. There's a response that God wants here. And, you know, if it's a physical response, run for your life. If it's a spiritual response, run to the high priest. Run to our high priest. Understand what's going on. Understand the signs of the times. Understand what's unfolding. And get to Christ. And build up your, your depth of relationship with him and with the community. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. There is an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak. This is a vision for the end. And so write it down, make it plain, and who responds, responds, and who doesn't, doesn't. But your job is to make it plain. And it will speak at the end. And it will not lie. This is, you know, again, the book of Revelation, we have to read it and read it over and over again because there's a blessing there for us because it will not lie. And that's truth, that's reality. And whatever's going on around us, we're so easily deceived. Information is withheld from us. Fake news is presented to us. God says, don't be deceived. And the way not to be deceived is to stay in Revelation and to align everything with Revelation because it's the truth. And this prophecy, which is aligning with Revelation, will speak at the end. He says, it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And this is why we do not forsake the assembling. This is why we consider one another, because this thing is coming, and it's going to be dreadful. 
we're already seeing signs and, and indications of where we're going. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. And here in its original context, we can see there is terror coming on the land, upon the covenant community, that, that God is bringing from Chaldea over to the covenant community to punish the covenant community and to wipe out, the, the scripture says, fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. We cannot be hypocrites so that we can be unwavering. And so he's bringing this over. Now, if we are not hypocrites, even though this thing is coming, and it's coming wholesale and it will not tarry, the just shall live by his faith. And actually, it's actually by faith. Now, this is what introduces, this is what um, Paul is introducing Hebrews 11 with. That there's an understanding that at the end, this prophecy is going to be unfolded. And these people are going to be marching through the land with a terror and a, and a ferocity and a fierceness. But the just shall live by faith. And so how does Paul prove to the Hebrew community that the just shall live? That despite this danger, the just shall live by faith. He proves it with Hebrews 11. And what he does in Hebrews 11 is he shows the Hebrews a whole bunch of dead guys. So the way that you can know for sure that the just shall live by faith, I'll tell you how you can know. Because I'm going to tell you all the people that have died. So you're afraid of dying? Let me encourage you by telling you about the just and how they all died. And that's how you'll know that the just shall live by faith. This, this is Paul's profound reasoning. That we have to believe in the promise. And the promise is that God is going to take the descendants of Abraham, which came down through Isaac, down through Israel, he's going to make them a nation of kings and priests. And they're going to be this nation of kings and priests in the promised land, the land that he promised to Abraham. And that's the promise. And so you're, we're facing death potentially, a fatal catastrophe here. And what we realize is this wholesale slaughter but be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. The just shall live. The same way that Abraham looked at his son, his only covenant by son by the promise, by covenant, and, and he was commanded to offer him. And he just said, I don't know how this is going to work out, but my son will live because he is faithful that promised. And so the Hebrews of the first century, the Hebrews now in the 21st century, we have to say to ourselves, I don't know how this is going to work out because this is a bitter and a hasty nation that is, that is involved in invasion and they're being protected and they're being encouraged and they're accelerating and it's, it's anti-Christic. It's against the God of the Bible. And so I don't know how this is going to work out, but he is faithful that promised. And that's what chapters 7, 8, and 9 were all about. Just how powerful he is and how faithful he is. And so you know what? We'll live. If we are the just, and the just means that God has justified us. God has assigned righteousness to us. The same way he assigned righteousness to Abraham because Abraham believed. So Abraham was, was counted righteous because of his faith. We are counted righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Once we are counted righteous, we'll live. So it's not something that we are doing. It's what God is doing. 
the, the actually I would translate this as the just shall live by faith. I would say the those counted righteous, those as, those assigned righteousness by God, will live eternally because of their trust in God. That that that's what I would say. Those assigned to be righteous, those assigned righteousness by God, will live eternally because of their trust in God, their trust in His promise. So now. The, we know that we're going to see a bunch of dead guys because Paul tells us in verse 13, these all died in faith. So the just shall live by faith, these all died in faith. But they're all going to live. And they died not having received the promises. But they saw them from afar off and they were persuaded of them and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And so this is how we have to be. That these all died in faith, but they live. If we die in faith, we live. And this is the faithful high priest. So don't be afraid of death. That's, what, that's the devil's power over us, that we're afraid of death. Once we've died, then, hey, I'm dead to this world. So now that fearfulness is gone. And we can just be unwavering and just focus on the vision of what God wants. And he says here in verse 39, we'll come into this, but I just want to precede the chapter with this. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, receive not the promise. And this is the key, that we must be among those that obtain a good report. And how do we obtain a good report? By our righteous acts? No, through faith. We believe in this God. He came to earth as a human being. He was slaughtered and he was resurrected. He came back to life. He was the, he's the firstborn of the dead. And we believe that that's our, he's the pioneer of our salvation. So his path is our, we're on the same path. And so we're after this good report through faith. And they didn't receive the promise, but they never wavered. They knew the promise was coming. And so in 1039, he says here, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. So you can be in the community, but if you draw back, if I draw back, we're drawing back unto perdition. We are going to face the fierce wrath of the living God. But we're not of those. So some have drawn back. There's a category of believers that have drawn back and they've turned aside. We're not of them. We're of those that believe. It's all about faith to the saving of the soul. So this is the context now for Hebrews 11, that we're considering one another. We, we understand the apostle. We understand the high priest. We understand the consequences of rebelling against the apostle's message, not believing in the high priest. And we've got that 2020, but we're not going to forsake the assembly of, our, of ourselves together because brethren may be faltering. Th these are crucial times. This, this, this is a very, very difficult period ahead of us. And so we need to be there for each other. And now Paul is going to give us the ammunition of encouragement so that we can encourage others. That just as he's encouraging us, we can now take this knowledge, this understanding, and encourage others. So it's not, it's not all about ourselves. It's, it's a real understanding of community. So, he's, so now he's going to explain. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for.
So, so when that promised land is out there, this kingdom of God, this nation of king priests, this is the promise. And we are hoping for it. And the fact that we have this hope, the substance of that hope is faith. That it's the Holy Spirit in us that is enabling us to trust God. This, this, this trust is foolishness. If you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit and you try to explain this to somebody that doesn't have the Holy Spirit, it's just pure nonsense. But with the Holy Spirit, it makes sense. And we believe it. And that's the substance. That's really like the, the indication, the evidence. He actually says it's the evidence of things not seen. So we can't see it right now, but we know it's, it's true. Uh, Habakkuk was told, wait for it. The vision's for an appointed time. It'll, it, it won't, it, it will, it, it, though it tarries, wait for it because it won't tarry. It's going to be here. And this whole plan of God is reality. And even though it doesn't look like reality and we're being fed illusions, we know what is true. And so it's the evidence of things not seen. And he says, for by it, by this thing called faith, the elders obtained a good report. And that's what we're after. That God will see that we trust him. We believe in him. We believe it's impossible for him to lie. And it is this faithfulness that we can obtain a good report as well. And so here we see where, where Christ is talking to, again, we want to make sure we're tying this back to Revelation, where he says, I know your works and your labor and your patience, and you cannot stand them that are evil. You've tried them that are apostles, and you've found them liars. These, these are, this is all the illusion that we're, we're, we're surrounded with, but we know what's true. And we're going to believe in what's true. And we're not going to falter. We're not going to lose that first love. So despite all of this good works here, they lost their first love. And we, with faith, we don't do that. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. This is the power of God's word. Framed by the word of God so that things which, were, things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Things that are seen were made from something that was invisible. And so just because it's not visible right now doesn't mean it's not true. Just because it's not visible right now doesn't mean it's not reality. God's word is reality. And everything God says is true. And everything God says is going to happen is going to happen. And we're settled. We're unwavering. We, we understand what's going to happen. By faith, now, he's going, now we're going to go through the timeline. He's going to go back to Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. So there was a faith that Abel had that caused him to behave differently. Cain didn't have that faith. And so Cain, probably there was something in his sacrifice that was just a bit, uh, or obviously there was something in his sacrifice that was less than optimal. But he didn't care because he didn't really believe. Abel really believed. And with that gratitude and awe and honor, he brought the best that he had. God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaks. The just shall live by faith. Abel is dead, but he's going to live. But even though he's dead, he still speaks. He speaks to us from the grave. And so don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of being outside of God's will. But as long as we're in God's will, nothing to fear nothing to fear he even though he's dead thousands of years ago here he is still speaking to us by faith enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because god had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony 
that he pleased God. So some people will say, well, Enoch didn't die. But he did die because Paul just told us, these all, he gives us the list, and then he says, everybody on this list died. So Enoch died. And this word translated, if we go into the Greek, in fact, if you uh, write to info at cgi.org uh, and ask for the sermon on Enoch and Elijah, and both Mike James and Pastor George Ramakan, Pastor James and Pastor Ramakan have both gone into this in detail, and it's just so clear. I, I can't go into all the detail here, but translated just means removed, to move from one place to another. So by faith, Enoch was moved to another place, and the death, he it would better translate, he will not see death. He will not see the second death. And so here you see in, in Revelation 20, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection, on such the second death has no power. So by faith, Enoch was translated, he was faithful. In fact, uh, Genesis 5 tells us all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and that's it. So he lived for 365 years, and that's it. No, there was no other days for Enoch, so he's dead. In fact, Christ says that no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. So if he went to heaven, Christ would have said, you know, I was up there, Enoch was, uh, I was just with Enoch, but now I've come down. But Enoch lived 365 days, he died in faith, the second death has no power over him, the just shall live by faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So this is again, we're considering one another. And so we're realizing that it's impossible to please God without faith. And so we may have strong faith, but we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves together because others need our faith. They need to be, in, if this, this strong conviction is contagious, you see like, wow, that's so inspiring and it just builds us up. And so we will not forsake the assembly because without faith it's impossible to please him. And there may be some who are in the community, but they're losing their faith. And it's impossible to please him. And so. I hate to say it, but without faith, we are facing perdition. We are facing the wrath of God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In other words, the promises that he makes are good. They're good. If God promises something, don't be like the forefathers that didn't believe. And God swore in his wrath, there's no way they're going to enter the promised land. But instead, we have to believe. So I want to now go into Abraham. Uh, but I think rather than do that, it's 8.30 now. Uh, rather than getting to Abraham, because there's a lot, there's a lot that we can uh, learn now from Abraham and, and the other elders as well. But remember, the way that we know that the just shall live by faith is by looking at these dead guys. And all of these, they knew that they, they believed in God's promises. And they knew they would inherit the promises. And death, death meant nothing to them because God is faithful. And so the Hebrews in the first century, here in the 21st century, the world is changing. If you're a Christian, you need courage. All of a sudden, Western nations have given up Christ. They've given up Christianity. They're throwing it under the bus. They want to, they want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. And so it's going to take a lot of courage to be a Christian, to be a faithful Christian. And it's going to take community. It's going to take a lot of encouragement. Courage, encourage. You're going to have courage, you need to be encouraged. And you don't get that courage by yourself. 
So and again, people are isolated, but they tune in, they take advantage of building community, and we need to make that effort for, for isolated brethren as well. We need contact, the, the spirit flows through one another. And so fellowship is more than just companionship. The spirit is flowing and gifts are edifying and building up the body. So let's, uh, let's continue next week, God willing, to uh, work through the, uh, the um, chapter of faith, these examples of faith. And uh, what we'll do next week is we will um, work through the rest of the examples of faith. And I, at first I thought I would just do this chapter and do it really quick because it's been done so much. But there's just so much here. So I'm hoping we'll finish it uh, next week, God willing. But maybe we'll, we'll take another week as well, depending on how the analysis of the chapter goes. But isn't Jesus Christ wonderful? He's powerful, he's mighty. No one can withstand him. All of this nonsense, this rejection of Jesus Christ, it's so hard to understand. He is so beautiful, he's so loving, he's so focused on wanting to do magnificent things for mankind through Israel. And we have been blessed to be grafted into Israel. There but for the grace of God go we. And so let's be good to one another, let's pray for one another, let's pray for the world, and let's preach this gospel. And that, that reminds me, you know, if you're enjoying these, these uh, studies, please share them with friends. We've got to get this message out. Uh, like us on Facebook, share us on Facebook, uh, share with your friends, tell them to find us on YouTube, and let's get people into the Word of God and understanding it. So hopefully you're able to join us for the chat. We'll do that over at uh, cgi.churchonline.org and uh, we're looking forward to uh, talking with you over there. Jesus Christ is Lord, He's King, He is mighty and He is wonderful. Praise God. God willing, we'll see you next week.